you might need a scorecard if you're going to keep track of all of the activities and travels of today's guest. Stay tuned. Good afternoon. I'm Chrissy Hewitt. Issues and Ideas continues now with Ears on Art, which airs the first and second Wednesday of each month at 1.30. Co-host Stephen DeLuke and I produce the program here at KCBX Public Radio for the California Central Coast. Today we continue our conversation with local artist Kate Froman. She has lived in San Luis Obispo for approximately 45 years. And as you heard last week and can hear again today, she is a very adventurous and active woman. Her specialty is fiber, mostly sewing, with interest in wearable art, quilts, and a variety of different styles of wall hangings. For all of our talk about travel, you might think that you were listening to some brand new show on KCBX, but this is about art and certainly visiting foreign countries and exploring what other people do is often a source of inspiration when we come home to our studios. Besides that, for Kate, it is just a great deal of fun and a lot of adventure. We end today's show with a short piece that Kate did for our annual December storytelling shows. As it turns out, this one is a beautiful tribute to her mother, who certainly was an inspiration both in her art and in her life. Join Stephen and me now as we meet up with Kate at her home here in San Luis Obispo. The physical therapy work, you as a creative individual, do you find yourself thinking or doing things with any kind of sense of how they connected, or do they? Hmm, interesting question. You were working often with children? With children, yeah. Well, certainly the creativity of trying to make exercise or stretching or whatever the kid needed fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember setting up some little plastic discs on the floor and, and having the kid pretend he was a frog, you know, mm-hmm. having him jump from one to the other because he definitely wasn't interested in jumping otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard for him. And, you know, when I retired, I thought, oh, I, I loved my job. I'm going to miss it. But I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> work is still work. Work is still work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is the traveling kind of ebbing, or are you just changing locations? What's uh, going on? Yeah, I decided not to lead with the Sierra Club anymore. It's a huge responsibility. One of my last trips in Nepal, I had to call four helicopters for <laughs> people who had severe altitude sickness. You know, they all did fine. But I decided that that was a huge responsibility, and I really didn't want to do it anymore. But I'm still traveling. I'm taking my grandson to Italy on a road scholar trip this year. Hope to do some hiking in England in May. And I just got a wonderful gift from my husband's publisher. His math books are selling really well in China. <laughs> I just got a really big check <laughs> today. So I think I'm going to go to Antarctica. 
And have you been to Italy before? Uh, yes, I did go to Italy one other time. I assisted on a trip in Italy. I loved it. I've never had such good food in my life. <laughs> For you, the pleasure, if nothing else, but what is it that you think fiber, and why is it such a powerful thing for you? That's a good question. Um, I think part of it is that um, having seen my mother do it, and then with the whole quilt thing, the whole issue of women's work, uh, did you ever see the play The Quilters, which was quite popular? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Really moving based on stories written by women as they came across the country and lived in sod houses and all the rest of it. And I think it's soft, and you can carry it around, so it's you know transportable, not quite like marble. <laughs> I don't see you walking to town with a, a bunch of it in your hand. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and the fact that it's utilitarian, you know, I made a lot of quilts, a lot of baby quilts, clothing. Uh, but I can see the time is coming. I mean, I'm not interested in hand quilting enormous pieces anymore. It takes a lot of time. I've just gotten started more doing more writing now, you know, writing up a lot of my travel stories and my daughter wants memoir. So that's taking up a lot more time too. And I still like to get out and hike. So mm-hmm. <laughs> and I play pickleball now and that takes a couple of more time. There's not enough time, that's for sure. You know, having a big birthday this year. And, uh, you know, why wait? That's mm-hmm. my thing. You know, why, why not go to Antarctica this year? Exactly. Or Italy, or go skiing as soon as the snow falls. <laughs> I was just going to say that um, if you're going to go to Antarctica, go through New Zealand. Been to New Zealand, mm-hmm. but I would love to go to Patagonia. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a job trying to tie those things together. No, you go in one way and out and the I other. I think so. It's, 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 it's summer down there, right. so I should be able to hook up with somebody at least for you know a week or so. Are there people in your discipline that have particular inspirations? Ah, well, you know, I've been in this art group for now, it's probably approaching 50 years. Twelve women, we meet once a week for lunch at somebody's house. That ho- The hostess supplies lettuce, salad dressing, <laughs> and tea, and the rest of us bring stuff for the salad. So, um, so it, that, that group has been, ex- you know, extremely supportive. Um, you can bring work and they'll critique it, or you can say, I don't want to critique, I just want cloying praise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's very supportive and mm-hmm. available for questions like, what is Mod Podge and how do I use it? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. I took a drawing class with Malou Mayo at her mother's suggestion. We were talking about drawing, and I said, oh, I can't draw. She said, anyone can draw. You just need to be taught how to do it. I said, oh, I don't believe it. She said, yes. <laughs> so so uh, that was a great class. And I've done a few fiber classes. And now it's just playing and, you know, going to shows and thinking, oh, that looks like a great idea. I'm into more simple stuff now. And, and, and that's good. And And using sort of found stuff. I'm ruined that I took all the clippings from the plum tree that my son pruned today. I should have saved some of that. I may have to dig it out. I remember doing a piece that was a, I think Malumeo taught a fiber class at Cuesta many years ago, and we were to bring in something woven, and I happened to be trimming a bunch of succulent um, spikes and wove those into something. I, but that was a, a weaving that I did with, with natural fiber.
I volunteer at the Botanic Garden, so I play with a lot of plants. I love pruning. It's an art form in a way. You know, you kind of walk around something and say, oh, that could go, that could go, oops. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't mean for that one to go. Having to really see that as its Mm three-dimensional form as opposed to just a bearer of fruit or blossoms. Interesting, because I've just started, I'm, I'm, I'm a painter, but I've just started using a lot of plant materials and in different forms in the paintings. And a lot of it's just textural. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add something that's just not a flat canvas. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, the integration of materials is just a really interesting process, hard and soft together or rigid and very pliable. Whatever it is, just interesting to find yourself going, oh, what could I do with whatever the that mm-hmm. is, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I think there was a book show. I've done one or two book classes. I'm not really good at getting things straight. And... Oh, I had real problems with that part of bookmaking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I had this idea I could make a little garment out of the pages of a book. And I happened to be walking by Phoenix, and there was this little paperback, maybe five by seven, of Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, which is probably one of the first books I read as a kid. I loved that. Um, I thought, oh, this is good. It was all cheap paper, almost like old news, like newspaper, soft. So I cut out this little thing. It probably would have fit maybe an 18-month-old child. So it was three-dimensional. And all I did was just start sewing these pages on. I tore them, kind of got crinkled edges and sewed it on and with red thread and then put it all together so it hung like a little jacket. I decided it, that's not appropriate for a book show, so I didn't do it. Well, then I happened to show it to my art group. And at that point, um, I think it was Deb Spadafore said she was in a group where they took a piece and then the, the second person in line worked off that piece and did something. And I said, well, this would be great. Let's do it. She said, well, let's start because I was showing this jacket. So let's start with that. So that was our show. It started with a red thread. And and that piece sold. So I've been trying to make another one. I've been working on it for a year. It hasn't gone very far, and I don't really like it. I think maybe I just need to put the whole thing in water and let it get softer somehow. So it's a wizard jacket with lots of very dark, grim fairy tales on it. So I, I'm hoping that I might this year get to finish that one. That'll, that'll tell me how to finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes... You just have to let it rest. Mm -hmm. And someone told me, you have to let it whisper to you. Yeah, that conversation is something that either happens or it doesn't. doesn't. (laughs) Or it's next year. Sometimes I don't think I speak its language. (laughs) (laughs) Talk more about those group projects because you've had more than one where you've either come up with a common object that everybody has to do something with or... What were some of those, and how was it? We used to get together in restaurants. We were all working. We tried to set a time when everybody could get there for lunch. We used to eat at Pete's Southside Mm -hmm. for many, many years. Oh, I really missed that place. Uh, And then once a month, we would have something called Big Lunch, where one person would prepare lunch for everybody, and we took turns doing that, so Big Lunch. So at one point, we were offered a show at Hancock, and we came up with the idea of calling it big lunch. And we each had a bowl from Pier 1, white bowl, and you could do whatever you wanted with it. 
and we were going to just set a table. That was going to be kind of the centerpiece. So you could make a, a placemat and then have this bowl, and then the walls would have our work on it, various hangings, woven quilts, whatever. And so everybody worked on their bowl, and I can't remember everybody's. I remember Sally's had wheels on it. (laughs) And mine was pasta, so I had tubes of fabric stuff coming out of it, you know, like spaghetti. So that was a great, great communal thing, yeah. We had one called Loosely Wrapped, which was at the the little building near the art museum, which the was Adobe. The Adobe, mm-hmm. yeah. We had a show in there. Some of us are fairly loosely wrapped. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, just the other day, we were having lunch and said, "Yeah, we haven't had a show for a long time." And about half the group said, "Oh." <laughs> the other half said, "Yeah." <laughs> you are listening to Ears on Art here on KCBX Public Radio. I am Chrissy Hewitt, and along with co-host Stephen Luque, we are having a conversation with guest Kate Froman, a local fiber artist. We continue now with that age-old question, where do ideas come from? In terms of both of those emotions, how often are we asked, where do your ideas come from? <laughs> yes. um, were you finding for those that having a starting point was helpful or was it annoying or both? I find it's helpful. Helpful as long as it sort of coincides somehow with <laughs> one's aesthetic. <laughs> I, I, I opted out of a show with another group just because I didn't like the concept. It was too mm-hmm. concrete for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally with the art group... Um, there's usually enough discussion that most people feel comfortable with with whatever comes up. I'm looking back all of these little your sweeps, so to <laughs> yes. speak. Mm-hmm. I was chiseling on some ebony today, and it was, of course, coming up in chunks, and they'd fly around the floor. And I thought, <laughs> I'm going to twist my ankle on one of these so I don't <laughs> yeah, get them right. swept up. But they haven't been tossed yet, so maybe I need to look you at them a little bit better. Yeah, well, I always know it's time to clean my studio when I can't find scissors. <laughs> you, you kind of go and you know feeling all over the place and i know i have three pair of scissors does cleaning ever hinder creative no <laughs> no i just sweep it to the side when i was in graduate school i would sometimes finally get three pieces that i had been working on simultaneously and go okay it's time to finish these and i'd finish them and then i would clean my bench and then i would sit <laughs> what seemed like days mm-hmm. it was probably less than 24 hours but in graduate school it was mm. what are you doing lately so <laughs> but it was an interesting thing of recognizing that you know sort of finish that chapter and now what's next so we've actually had some people say don't leave my studio for weeks or whatever without something in process mm-hmm. so that when I come back I'm able yeah. to start again. Oh yeah. I've got things pinned up on the wall. Sometimes just a picture torn out of a magazine. Oh that looks like something it'd be fun to play with. Uh, and sometimes it's something that got covered up and I thought, oh I that's right I was gonna work on this. <laughs> <laughs> I saved these socks that my now almost fourteen year old grandson wore as a baby. They're little tiny striped socks. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about putting those in a piece because they're bright colors mm-hmm. and it's just cute. 
It's been there for 13 years. <laughs> the only reason I would want to go back to being a little kid is for the shoes. <laughs> I did one piece once with baby booties all over it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's still hanging up at Chris Jesperson's school. <laughs> I donated it to the school, so I'll have to go up and see if it's still there. have been talking about the fact that the group meets weekly for food. Where does that creativity part come into your <laughs> it life? It does. You know, a lot of people in that group now are doing a lot of traveling, seeing a lot of shows, so come back with catalogs and postcards, and somebody had just been to the Klimt show, and mm-hmm. uh, we had a lot of talk about that. And, of course, a lot of talk about cooking and grandkids and travels and uh, seeing photographs. So, that it, it, you know, it's a full-life experience. I mean, we've been through birth, death, divorce, illness, and joys, and sorrows, disappointments. It's the kind of thing you could know you could call any one of them in the middle of the night. feel very, very lucky. I've known it from the fringe because I know several of you. Yeah. So <laughs> feels very inspiring. And I realize that in this day and age when so many people have allowed themselves to get sucked into the tech world, I think the number of book groups and other things mm-hmm. are just perhaps some reaction to mm-hmm. maybe it's okay to still talk about stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And, and speaking of tech, I remember calling Meryl one time saying, "How I'm on the computer. How do I? And she talked me through. She doesn't even see my computer. but you know. <laughs> That's what husbands are for. Because <laughs> I know nothing about technology. So. The dog doesn't seem to either. <laughs> Or my cats. <laughs> They're only interested in one thing, basically. Well, two, food in my lap. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know when it was, a few years ago, but coming to that understanding that when you're thinking about solving problems by what you're trying to create, you're doing it all the time mm-hmm. in disciplines that have nothing to do with mm-hmm. what you might actually create with. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it all the time, yeah. but it may not ever show in a physical, yeah. you know, way. So, and I always love the story. I don't know who, probably everybody's responsible for it, but you know, how long did it take you to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, about seventy years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I say. I say forty years, because yeah. <laughs> that's how long I've been painting. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On trips, frequently, I don't have any work, creative work, but at night, if I'm not sleeping, I think. Well, you know, I could probably do this or that on that piece, or maybe when I get home, I'll I'll think of a way to use all those buttons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love when I travel. One of my favorite things to do is to visit the art museums, and I love seeing what people mm-hmm. do with different materials. Yeah. So maybe that was part of what I was asking. Even if where you're traveling is not all about necessarily a whole lot of fiber or a whole lot of things in that discipline, the arts are still there. Mm-hmm. And how those have influenced or just been a source of, or, God, this stuff is ugly. Um, yeah, I think certainly color and texture. I remember watching a man walking like quite a huge load of wood, and he was using a drop spindle, and he was spinning yak hair mm-hmm. to make rope thinking about the creative process while he's walking on a trail. With and a ton of wood on his back. <laughs> a load of wood on his back. And then seeing one of those yak herder tents, which probably would be as big as my living room, made on a 12-inch loom, uh, backstrap loom, 
of woven yak fiber, mm -hmm. then all sewn together, and this huge black tent that they lived in up until it started to snow. Uh, and it was waterproof. Just an incredible building. And then to have seen the man actually walking along with the drops. And I have spun with a drop spindle. And it's fun, but I wasn't carrying a load of wood. <laughs> <laughs> and you weren't making a tent. <laughs> no, I wasn't making a tent either. No. When I was in Cuba, one of the things that I was able to bring home was this wonderful little container for a confection that was coconut and almonds and honey and and... It was made out of palm bark, and it was conal and then came up into a square at the top, mm. and they made a lid that fit over it, and the handle then kept the lid from being able to just fall off onto the ground. Fortunately, I was smart enough to bring it home. <laughs> <laughs> but I marvel at this mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a couple of pieces, one from Africa, which is a, it's called a neck pillow, and this was a tribe that had very elaborate hairdos, men, and they couldn't sleep on the ground mm -hmm. or on clothing, so they, they would just use this little thing like that. Mm -hmm. The Japanese, I think, yeah, have something yeah, quite similar. Yeah. Um, and we bought it from the man who happened to be walking down the road with a spear. It's one of my treasured pieces. And then I found a little drinking cup in Bhutan, and I showed it to our one of our guides, and I said, oh, you know, should I try to find out? He said, no, this man was out probably drinking, and he wandered home and dropped his cup. He said, mm -hmm. you should keep it. It's fine, you know, and he'll make another one. Mm -hmm. Those little treasures, they're so much fun to bring home. I'm glad you got to bring your, your little box home. Oh, absolutely. It is always exciting if you stumble on something that is, you know, part of that culture. I remember walking around... Denmark and perhaps Norway, and there was all this slate that was all mm -hmm. over the ground. Well, that isn't something that we trip over here, at least in chunks of it and stuff. And so, like, oh, that's a fun little piece of something. And I remember one time in Denmark, and it had been raining, and I was taking a little tour to a museum or something, so I'd gotten off the bus, and I had a few blocks I had to walk. And all of a sudden, I'm going, what's that smell? know that smell. And I turned and looked inside this fenced yard, and it was a stack of teak. Oh. Mm -hmm. And teak has a very characteristic odor, mm -hmm. but you usually don't see stacks of it around here. Oh, the way right. you're doing. <laughs> like, oh, God, can I have some? <laughs> when I was in Costa Rica in San Jose, the capital, uh, there was this one restaurant that had been recommended. The interior of this restaurant was this most incredibly beautiful tropical wood. It was mm. just stunning. And there was a plaque up on the wall, and I went over and I read the plaque, and that was all of that tree that was in existence. They took, cut them all down oh and made this building out Ooh. of it. It's extinct now. They had literally clear-cut every single specimen of it to make this building. Okay. On that cheery note. Well, Kate, I am really glad that I am somebody who was smart enough along the way and in the right place at the right time to acquire as many of your garments as I have, and also a couple of hanging pieces. In fact, one of them became sort of my studio flag. I have to acknowledge that leaving it out has faded it, but 
the beggars are still there. They're supposed to be used, mm-hmm. worn. Well, shredded. it is. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking some time and filling us in. And I think that even though a lot of talk about travel, but to think that it doesn't have an impact on everything. So well, thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. I'm very grateful for your good taste in clothing. That, and it's nice to see it around town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Kate, and safe journeys. Thank you. Here now is Kate sharing one of her stories that she read for our annual December storytelling program. My name is Kate Froman, and I've lived here in San Luis Obispo for a long time. I enjoy making things with my hands, wall quilts, baby hats knitted with all sorts of fibers, and I love especially working with silk. It had been a different kind of autumn the year I was nine. My father had been out of work for weeks because of a prolonged bout with pneumonia, and he was drinking a lot. My grandma arrived one afternoon with some leftover pot roast, and I heard Mom tell her that she hadn't known what she was going to feed us that night. That was the first time I realized that there was such a thing as no dinner. My four sisters and my brother and I had been delighted with the boxes of used clothing that began appearing on the front porch, and we spent lots of good times trying things on and sorting out who got what. There seldom were any shoes in these boxes, and I had layers of newspaper between my feet and the holes in the soles of my shoes. Fortunately, we lived only two blocks from school, and there hadn't been a lot of snow. A few days before Thanksgiving, another box appeared, and my mom cried when she lifted out a turkey, a bag of potatoes, and cans of vegetables, a pumpkin, and a big box of oatmeal. A few days later, a Christmas tree was propped against the porch railing. Just as she had done the year before, Mom took each of us shopping to buy a small gift for our siblings. A Woolworth store had just opened, and I remembered buying a comb for one of my sisters for ten cents. Our past Christmases were usually modest, with the presents consisting of hand-knit mittens, home-sewn pajamas, a tangerine or an orange in the toe of the stocking, and a little bit of chocolate, and one real present. My sisters and I usually received gifts like a doll, or a stuffed animal, or a tea set. I was looking forward to a new doll, or a giant box of 200 crayons that I was definitely not going to share. I knew my mom stayed up half the night wrapping gifts and stuffing our own socks. No giant Christmas stockings for us. The socks were laid at the foot of our beds for discovery first thing in the morning. When I opened the small flat package on Christmas morning, I stared at the little burgundy velvet cape trimmed with white fur. My mom said quietly, it's for Laura. Laura was my doll, which I had hoped would be replaced by a newer, bigger, and better one. I looked at my mom and saw the hope in her eyes, the hope that I would be okay with this gift, the best she could do. It took me a moment to understand that this was my real present. I went and retrieved Laura from under my bed and dressed her in her new finery. That night I realized that my mom had sat and sewed and trimmed that cape late at night when all six of us had made all the obligatory trips to the bathroom after the second or third drink of water. And I realized that mom had given me all that she could give, a scrap of burgundy velvet and a few inches of white fur. 
That was the year I realized that times were tough for my family, and I was afraid for a while. I also learned, though, that there were limits to what one might have. There were very few limits to what my mother would do to keep us safe and fed and loved. You have been listening to Ears on Art here on KCBX Public Radio. Our guest today has been Kate Froman, local fiber artist. If you missed part one last week, we hope that you'll go to the Ears on Art archives on the KCBX webpage and take a listen. While there, you can also find a collection of previous programs. So until March, this is Chrissy Hewitt on behalf of co-host Stephen DeLuke wishing you a wonderful Valentine's Day. Stump for a Valentine idea? Take your special person to an art exhibit. As always, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>